So last week, Graham took a look at John uh, chapter 15 and how Jesus is the grapevine. And just by coincidence, we did a series uh, just before that, a three-week series on following Jesus based on John 15. And so I want to just recap for a second that we believe, and and, and I feel like it summarizes the, the whole journey that we've been on over the last year, where we believe that ultimately following Jesus, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to find freedom is to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. I'm saying it like this because the order is the difference between religion and relationship. In some cases, I believe it's the difference between heaven and hell. So if we get that order wrong, and that's why so many of us can get so tired and so burnt out in religion, in Christianity, in serving, because, because we're focused on the doing, and our doing for Jesus goes way above and beyond what our being with Jesus can sustain. And so, and so this idea of, I am the grapevine, is come to me, um, look to me. <laughs> Find your strength in me. Find your perspective in me. Find your peace in me. Find, find wisdom. Find life in me. And I will form fruit because fruit is formed, is not forced. When we focus on, on getting that order the other way around where we focus on doing what Jesus did first, then we try and force fruit. And, and Jesus is like, if you'll come and connect yourself to me and abide in me, remain in me, allow this life source to flow, I will form the fruit that you actually want to see. So, so that was uh, I am the grapevine. I want to take a look today at another statement that some of you might be aware of where Jesus actually tells a group of listeners, probably a few thousand people actually, um, he says to them, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And just to pick up uh, a little bit of context before the passage I'm going to read to you out of the book of John, Jesus has just fed thousands of people, probably in the region of about 20,000 people. The Bible tells us that there were 5,000 men. That's when men only counted. I'm sorry, okay? I'm sorry. Wasn't a, that wasn't a biblical principle or value. That was just the culture of the day. So we've come, or well, hopefully we've come somewhere. I don't know if we've come the whole way. But anyway, so 5,000 men only, but then there were still women and children, etc. So, so Jesus did, does this incredible miracle. Hello? <laughs> so Jesus does this incredible miracle. That's just a reminder. We planned that to make sure you switch off your phones. Make sure they're on silent or on flight mode. Um, so Jesus does this incredible miracle with a boy's loaf and like just a, a, a few pieces of bread and some fish, right? So he manages to feed 20,000 people. So you can imagine. People are like, whoa, that's amazing. Let's follow Jesus and see what happens next. They are, they are super interested in what Jesus has done. And so they continue to follow him. Then Jesus... And, and this might surprise some of us. Jesus isn't just into marketing and branding to, to, to lower the bar for, for, for anyone to just jump in through a felt need. Jesus will, will, will reach out to people and attract people, but then Jesus is also going to tell us, hey, there's, there's also a cost involved. There is a following involved. So we pick up the story in John chapter 6, verse 30, where some of the listeners, right? So Jesus is talking to them and he's challenging them on a few things. They say to him, uh, such, uh, show us a miraculous sign. Like he's just showing them a miraculous sign, right? Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. And I love how secure Jesus is. Like he doesn't feel like he has to prove himself to anyone. What can you do, they say? Like almost quite facetious. After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then I love Jesus' response. I think, I think Jesus could have been a little bit cheeky. I don't know. But, but in verse 32, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And I can almost imagine him like dropping the mic, like boom. Yeah. 
Moses didn't give you bread. My father gave you bread. And again, he's challenging this idea where we look to leaders, where we look to, to a person that, 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 that can impress, which means that when that person disappoints you, then we lose our faith. Because we're being discipled to a person or to a church and not to Jesus. And now he offers you the true bread. So he's saying he actually provided the bread in the wilderness. But guys, like he's offering you something better than manna. Like you thought that was impressive that every morning they'd wake up and Mr. Delivery had brought in like, like, like all, this, all this stuff outside the, you know, the, the front door of their tent, this manna for 40 years. Like, yes, that's cool. But actually, actually, better than providing food every single day, he offers something even more significant. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You see, the, the manna sustained for a day. Jesus is saying, I will sustain you for eternity. You see, people wanted food that would give them energy. Jesus is saying, I will give you immortality. He's saying, like, like, you, like your bar is actually so low. You think you're raising a high bar by saying, perform a miracle. Like, your bar is low. It's like, I can offer you so much more than what you're asking for. Verse 34, sir, they said, give us this bread every day. Jesus replied, and this wasn't the answer they were looking for, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And I think that there are a lot of people that are seeking spiritually, and to be honest, I think sometimes they're disappointed with the answer. Like, hey, give me some of that. Give me some of that blessing. Give me some of that feel-good stuff that Pauline and Jerome just mentioned. Give me some of that stuff that they talk about at Freedom. And we want the stuff, we don't want Jesus. We, we, we may want the blessing, we want the money, we want the marriage, we want uh, the health, whatever. And, and, and guys, by the way, I, I don't think God doesn't care about this stuff. I think he cares about this stuff. I just think he cares about that a lot less than wanting you. He wants us. He wants relationship. He wants our hearts. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. Whoever comes to me, don't miss these words. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, obviously, Jesus is speaking metaphorically, okay? He's not saying that you're never going to physically crave something tangible again, but he's saying that, that actually what I offer you is going to satisfy a need that is so much deeper. You see, sometimes we think, if I can just have that, then I will feel better. Or if I can just um, you know, have that type of holiday, then I'll feel rested. If I, can, if, I, if I could marry that kind of person, or if I could just divorce this one, or if I could just whatever, you know, and Jesus is like, that stuff's nice, that stuff's good, that stuff's fine. Maybe not the divorce part, but, but the other stuff. But, but I can give you something so much deeper. Like you can find a rest beneath the rest. You can find peace beneath just some temporary superficial, um, you know, removal of challenging circumstances. He's saying you can have peace in the midst of trial. You can have peace in the midst of chaos. You can have peace that doesn't even make sense to you. People think you're in denial and you're like, I'm not in denial. I know this stuff's hectic, but I'm sorry. God's given me peace. Like, I believe God's got my back. He gives us something so much deeper. You see, Jesus offered life, but his listeners wanted lunch. Jesus offered life. All they were looking for was lunch. Like, if I, can just, if I can just have, you know, an increase, if I can just, if I can just have, have a little more health or strength, if, God, if you can just resolve this conflict that I'm dealing with, 
And again, God cares, but he's saying, like, I actually want to offer you something so much deeper, so much greater, that, that actually the knock-on effect is going to touch those other areas anyway. And so when that comes, it's like, that's a bonus. It's gravy. It's like, ooh, that's nice. But it's, but, but it's not it, right? We're saying that Jesus is it. If we have Jesus, then all these other things are a blessing. If you have all the blessings and you don't have Jesus, it'll never be enough. And some of you have lived long enough to know that. Some of us have lived long enough to do it with, and I'm even saying as Christians, because you can be a Christian and try and do life without Jesus, by the way. So some of us have done it long enough where, where, where we do it in our own strength, and it's exhausting. Everybody, it is exhausting. Trust me. I'm saying that as a, as a pastor, as a Christian, if I'm going to try and rely on my own strength, it, it, it will destroy your soul. There has to come a day where I start saying, God, you are the source of life. Jesus, you are the bread. You fulfill on a much deeper level so that if I, so that I have all this extra stuff, it's great. If I don't, it's okay. That's what Paul the apostle, the early church leader said in Philippians 4 verse 13 when he says, I can do all things through Christ who makes me strength. It wasn't just a neat, cute little tattoo. He's saying, hey, whether I have food or don't have food, whether I'm warm or whether I'm cold, whether I'm in prison, whether I'm free, I'm Okay. Because he has Jesus. He's like, you can kill me, I'll get to be with Jesus. You can leave me alive, I'll get to share, <laughs> I'll get to share the hope of Jesus for a little bit longer. He's like, I don't mind. Do whatever. Guys, when we see Jesus as the bread of life, then everything else, everything else is, is a blessing and a bonus or the challenges, they are real, they are rough, they're tough, but but they don't derail us at our core every time we go through that stuff. Jesus offered life. They wanted lunch. I think that's a clever phrase. I like that. Okay? So let's not just satisfy on lunch. Let's actually seek the life. Let me tell you, everything else, everything else, over-promises and under-delivers. If you haven't experienced that yet, you haven't lived long enough. Okay, if you think, well, this illicit affair right now is pretty satisfying, you just haven't lived long enough. That's going to take you longer or further than you want to go. It's going to keep you longer than you want to stay, and it's going to make you, it's going to cost you a lot more than you want to pay. So you might think, I'm getting away with stuff. Like, this seems cool. Like, what's your oaks on about? Guys, that's okay. You'll be back. It overpromises, it underdelivers. Now, I've got to tell you, as I went on, kind of just, just reading and reflecting on this passage, I was struck by a certain word that was repeated again and again and again. And you can understand why this would have freaked out the listeners. So let's move on to uh, verse 48. Jesus says, yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate man in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I want you to notice how many times he uses the word eat. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Now you can understand people are starting to get antsy, right? It's like, wait, what? This is cannibalism? Like, like you can imagine people being being quite freaked out. It's easy when we look at it in retrospect. But you can imagine for the listeners, this is getting a little bit eerie. Verse 52. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They asked. 
I'm with you. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. I mean, now it's really getting hectic, right? It's like, okay, it's Halloween, everybody, but this is getting, this is like over the top. You cannot have eternal life within you. You see, Jesus actually says in in other parts of the Bible that sometimes he would say things that he knew like people were going to misunderstand and they were going to get confused because, because actually there was like a filter. And people that had eyes to see and ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts to receive would, would, would hang around long enough and, and sit long enough to actually allow God to, to, to give them insight into what otherwise on the surface might have seemed like an incredibly freakish statement. And I want to encourage you as well. Sometimes you read stuff in the Bible, or sometimes you might even hear something here on, on Sunday, which at first like, causes a reaction in you. And sometimes you might be right, because you need to test everything that he said, by the way. You need to go back to the Scriptures for yourself if, if you feel like, wait, I don't know if that's correct. Go back to the Scriptures. Search the Scriptures. Make sure that we're, what we're telling you is true. But, but if it's in Scripture and you're saying, God, this doesn't make sense, or this is uncomfortable, like when, God, like when Jesus says, love your enemies, like, wait, what? Like we might need to actually sit for a while. And stay there for a while and not rush on to the next thing looking for the, for the promise, looking for the feel-good stuff. Okay, God, like, what does this mean? Like, is this legit? Did they get this wrong? God, give me ears to hear, eyes to see, a mind to understand, and a heart to receive. He goes on, but anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. We, obviously, we, we now realize he's speaking metaphorically. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Now, now the, even, even knowing it's metaphorical, like reading it, if you actually read it slowly, it sounds quite hectic, I think. I, I can just imagine how, how his listeners would have responded to to this kind of stuff. But, but what he is referring to, and this is what we celebrate any time we take part in communion, is that Jesus did literally on the cross, he bled for us and his flesh was torn for us. He literally laid his life down. He paid the price that we deserved. He laid his life down so that we wouldn't have to be. When Jesus is on the cross and he says, my God, why have you forsaken me? The answer is, for you and for me. So he took our place. He, he was separated from the Father for a period of time over that weekend, which we celebrate over Easter time, so that we don't have to be you know, separated from the Father. So, so we actually have a choice, which means that if we are separated, it's on us, it's not on God. God's already done everything he can. God's already paid that price. God's already built that bridge. It's up to us to say, yes, thank you, thank you. Wow, what? For real? And that's why it messes with our heads, because it can seem too easy. It can seem, yeah, people might think it's cheap, but it came at the highest possible price. And so this freaked his listeners out, and in verse 60, it says that many of his disciples, so not just the fans and the followers, the people that like stuff on social media, like they were like, this is hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? And then in verse 66, it says at this point, Many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Let me tell you, he never deserts you. Jesus doesn't walk away from us. I honestly, I honestly believe that. Romans 8 verse 31 tells us that if God is for us, who can be against us? And then it goes on into this like rant about, about what can separate us from the love of God. I believe the only answer to that is me walking away from that. Like if I'm going to reject that. 
So he is the bread. He wants to fulfill. He wants to sustain. He wants to satisfy our deepest needs. And all we need to do is actually respond. It's saying yes to that bread. So I think it happens twice. Well, in two phases. The first is where we actually accept salvation. So God, we're actually going to accept that Jesus... So in a sense, we're going to eat of his flesh and blood. In other words, we're going to accept what he did at the cross for us. That's salvation. But then I'm going to continue to feast on this relationship with Jesus as I continue to follow him for the rest of my life. The only person who, after accepting grace, didn't get to be a disciple and follow Jesus was the guy on the cross next to Jesus who died instantly afterwards. So, so I think that that was literally in the Bible to show us, hey, it really is for free. It's, it's grace. You can't do anything to earn this afterwards. But let me make it clear that if we have accepted it, then it's, it's going to cost us everything but in the best way as we surrender our lives, as we follow Jesus, as we keep choosing to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. He is the bread. So practically... What do I want to encourage you to do? I, I believe that, that the best way for us to enjoy this bread that is offered, to, to, actually, to actually eat, in, in inverted commas, uh, Jesus, and I know that's like a, crazy language, so just bear with me. I feel even uncomfortable saying it, but you know what I'm talking about metaphorically. Uh, to, to actually consume this relationship with Jesus. Um, at the beginning of the same book of John, John also calls Jesus the Word. And... We, we read in other parts of Scripture how actually all Scripture points to Jesus. So I think that one of, not the only way, but one of the key ways for us to draw close to Him, one of the key ways for us to eat of this bread is to actually create a daily discipline because you eat every day, right? Unless you're fasting or unless you're, I don't know, trying to kill yourself. Like you're going to eat every day. So for us to eat every day on the Word of God, on Scripture, on the Bible. But I want to give you a few pointers before I pray for you and before we wrap up. Number one, I want to say read for relationship. Okay? Again, we want results. He wants relationship. And I've heard people say, yeah, Jason, look, I'm, I'm getting into the Bible and I'm trying to get, get wisdom for this thing at work and, and all the rest. And, and that's not bad, but that's not all. Like he actually wants relationship before results. We want results. And sometimes I'm not even sure we think about relationship. Some of you are familiar with that story in Luke chapter 15. Uh, many of us know it as the story of the prodigal son, where this father who represents God, he has these two sons. The one is very, very good. The other one is very, very bad. What is interesting is that as you read the beginning of the story, you find out that the son who was very, very bad didn't want the father. He wanted the father's things. And so he just demanded it. And the father had to sell off a third of his possessions, and he took it, and he went off, and he squandered it. And then the next part of the story which is actually written to the very people that, he, that Jesus was talking to. So, so actually that was the point of the story. He t- he's actually writing this in the context of people who think they're very, very good. And, and he makes the point that the older brother in the story actually used his goodness to also only want the father's things, but not the father. And so when he didn't get what he wanted, he didn't want what he got. He wanted, so through being very, very good, he still wanted the fa- he, wanted, he wanted the father's things, not the father. And I want to encourage you, just, just, just to reflect for a moment, am I actually wanting God, or do I just want the stuff? 
Guys, this is a good message. Okay? We need to hear this. I'm trying, I, seriously, this is, I, I'm talking to you out of my own journey. I'm talking to you out of, out of a place of, of having, to, having to constantly catch myself and say, wait, 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 Jason. Do you even want Jesus? So, let's read for relationship. Read for transformation, not information. So you can just read cerebrally just, just to know more, just to get the next nugget, the next tip, the next system. And there's a lot of wisdom in the Bible. Listen, you apply the principles of the Bible, your life's going to be better. You don't even have to believe in Jesus. But that's not the goal. The goal is transformation, personal transformation. We want it to move from your head to your heart, which I believe means that we have to read less and read it longer. We have to read less and we have to reflect more. Unless you have a lot more time on your hands, that's great, then read more. But, but even so, make sure that you come back down to the less part that you can actually reflect on, that you can chew on, that you can digest. And I want to encourage you to encounter God in Scripture. Again, don't just do it for Scripture. Encounter God. John 5 verse 39 says that you search the Scriptures because you think they give eternal life. This is Jesus speaking. But the Scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me and receive this life. So I'm saying let's, let's read the Scriptures as though it is what it says it is, which is that it's God-breathed. And is there to actually help draw us closer to him. I love what Ruth Haley Barton says in her book, Sacred Rhythms. We need a way of approaching scripture that will move us very concretely from our over-reliance on information gathering to an experience of scripture as a place of intimate encounter. So if you've been doing freedom and you were part of the encounter this weekend or you had the encounter in June, I want to say that you can actually come into an intimate encounter with Jesus as part of your daily life, your daily routine. Um, I, I'm literally going to wrap up with, with just a couple of points, a, a couple of tips. Maybe our worship team can come on up just that it encourages you. I am coming into land, but I want you to hang on for like another few minutes, okay? Um, oh, guys, there's so much to share. But anyway, uh, from next year, I'm going to try and actually get some books that are going to help us establish these, these patterns and these rhythms so that we're not relying on an experience or that we're not relying on a Sunday only, but that we're actually learning to feed on the bread of life for ourselves every day. One of them, and I'm, just, I'm loving this book at the moment, and, and it's actually a lot, uh, it's actually a much shorter read than what it looks. It's about, 100, about 120, 130 pages is, is Sacred Rhythms by Ruth Haley Barton. Um, just something interesting about me, I will, I'll always buy a book on Kindle first, try and read it, and, and, and often on Audible, and try and listen to it when I have gaps and I'm in the car or exercising or whatever. You've got to know that I get really serious about a book when I then go ahead and buy it in a hard copy version as well. So that means I'm taking this book, like, flipping seriously, and where I start highlighting stuff and, and digging into stuff, and it's just so simple. It's so easy, actually. It just, just helps take a look at, at some key practical um, patterns that we can put into our lives where we're finding moments of solitude where we are uh, approaching scripture in a way that is life-giving um, how do we how do we learn to discern God's voice how do we develop a rule of life which is which is just simply saying I'm actually developing an infrastructure as a fixed part of my life that's going to help me to grow in God anyway in this chapter on scripture she she makes reference to an ancient approach to scripture um, in Latin it's called the Lectio Divina, which actually means divine or sacred reading. 
and she just gives a couple of, in fact, I love this. You see, because I, I love structure. I love an approach that's going to help me experience what I think God's wanting me to experience. And if you'll allow me for two minutes, just to quickly mention, it's taking a small passage of scripture, like maybe six to eight verses, and then it's actually reading through it four times, but each time approaching it with, a, with like a type of a different question. So the first one, and don't worry about taking a photo yet, you can take a photo at the end when we have all, all four or five up, is to actually just simply read that passage. So just read it, just, just relax, uh, see if there's anything that jumps out at you, especially a key word. Like, is there a key word? Like, is, is it the word come? Like, is he inviting me? Is it, is it the word rest? Uh, or, you know, maybe you read that passage on loving enemies, and, and is it the word love? You know, God, is, is, it, is it, like, what is it that you actually want? So, so you actually start with, with, a, with, a, with a few moments of silence, by the way. So you just, so you just let everything settle down, because I think that so often we come to the Bible, and it's just manic. Like, our brains are like, you know, going all over the place, and, and then we try and, okay, okay I'm going to read, you know, and, and move on, and we actually have to quiet ourselves so that we can hear God. I don't think God is all that eager to shout of all of the noise going on in our hearts and in our souls. So, so quiet yourself down, read the passage, looking for maybe a key word that, that you think God might be wanting you to take notice of. Secondly is to reflect. So you read it a second time. Reflect on how our lives might be impacted by this word. I'll, I'll use the example of Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30, which you've probably heard me say many times because it, because of this, because it, because approaching it this way a couple of years ago impacted me so deeply. Like I just sat in that passage, I think for a couple of weeks actually. And just this word rest, rest. And then, and then the second time Jesus says it is like, I'll give you rest for your souls. Like I would just reflect on this idea that seemed so foreign to me at the time. Then I, and then I would start thinking about like how, how it's, how it's rest. Like it's a deeper rest than just a physical rest. Like there's a, there's a soulish rest. And then there's a spiritual rest where I don't have to strive. I don't have to prove. I don't have to, God, I'm partnering with you. I mean, he actually says my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And I was, I'm being yoked here. I'm the tiny ox. You're the ginormous ox. Like, like I've got the small part of the deal. I can rest in you. Third is to respond. So you read it a third time. Is there an invitation or a challenge that I need to respond to? Is there a feeling I'm feeling? You read that passage on loving your enemies and you're like, uh-uh, that ain't happening. And maybe there's this fist that rises up. And like, when you come into God's presence, that's not the time to hide that or deny that or lie that. That's the time to be real, to be honest. You want to find freedom? Start with honesty. You want to start with honesty? Start with rest. You want to start with rest? Start with slowing down. Some of the rhythms of our lives. God, is there something I need to confess? What am I feeling? Respond to God in the safety of His love. The goal of Scripture is not to make you feel ashamed. If God's revealing something to you, it's to bring life. It's to help us out. And fourth, I love this, as you would assume, is rest. The fourth time, the invitation is to rest in what you have read. Psalm 131, I preached on this some time ago. It's three short verses. The first two are basically, basically describing this idea of a baby that is so satisfied. It's been, it's been, it's been fed. It's, it's at peace on its mother's chest. It is well satiated. This baby is like, it's at peace. 
I wonder how often we would walk away from our time with God feeling at rest. I, I would dare to probably suggest, not very often, and I think the main reason for that is because it's rushed and so we've ticked the box and we've got to move on. And we haven't actually found the bread of life. And then, just so you, you know, if you're getting very technical and you go Google this, Lectio Divina doesn't involve this fifth one, but she suggests it and I like it. And that's the word resolve. Now you can take a photo. We resolve to carry his word with us as we carry it out in our daily life. We continue to listen to it throughout the day as we are led deeper and deeper into its meaning and it's beginning to live in us. So again, I'm just telling you, this, this word rest out of this passage, I probably journaled about this maybe two, three years ago. Like it took me a long time before that started to become a part of my life and I'm still on that journey. That's part of the reason I took a long leave over July this year because I felt, I felt it was only in the slowing down that I felt this gentle invitation to actually draw, draw aside to trust God with the church to trust God with people's opinions where people might not, not, not agree or like whoa that's nice to work for the church no Jason are you secure in what people think or are you secure in what I'm asking you to do will I draw aside will I draw aside in my case long enough to actually to actually rest the soil of my heart because again in ministry if you're trying to give out over and over and over and over again you can please please forgive this language but you can rape the soil and then we can wonder, I can wonder why I'm feeling so empty. And then I'm dishing up cold porridge for you. I want, what, I want what, what he shared with you to come out of a healthy place. To come out of a life that is living on the bread of life. What an incredible invitation, everybody. Come on, stand with me. I want to pray for you in a moment. And I want to read one more verse. Galatians 6 verse 15. And I've got to tell you, I missed this verse for, for most of my life because the first part talks about circumcision. I'm like, okay, thank God that's not something we have to worry about anymore. But it says, it doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not, but listen to the second half. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. So let me explain that to you. We'll keep the verse up. That first part about circumcision back in those days, that was about religion. If you will tick the boxes, if, you'll do, if you will do what you think you have to do to get to God, to make yourself holy, then you'll be holy. And, and the whole idea of the gospel, of Jesus coming down to earth, of Jesus dying for us, is to say, hey, all of that stuff's done. It's dealt with. And so Paul is writing this particular passage after Jesus' death, and he's saying that stuff doesn't matter. What actually matters is whether you're allowing yourself to be transformed from the inside out. And I'm saying the only way for us to do that is if we will come to Jesus as the bread of life. The bread of 